The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It's June 2nd today. I got the date right this time. <laughs> um, it's like 7 p.m. in New York. It's it's very humid today. Um, but otherwise, nothing too exciting to report weather-wise, environment-wise on my end. <laughs> 9 a.m. here, freezing, freezing cold, really in winter now. But it's not too bad, I guess. It could be worse. <laughs> What's the... What's the Elmo update? Well, he's still around every day. I have been seeing him. He doesn't seem to be on our property anymore. Like I think he must have his little house here somewhere because he does come back here at the end of the day. But um, when I see him now, usually he is down the road a little bit on the neighbor's lawns. (laughs) Maybe he's in a love triangle. (laughs) So he's still around um, and he because he looks like an awkward little thing that you wouldn't think could move very fast, but he actually moves (laughs) super quick when he wants to. So the side-ins are getting a little bit less. Um, I don't know. I I usually see him in the afternoon. I'm assuming he comes out like in the heat of the day. Um, He's moved on. Yeah, so he's definitely moving up up the road. <laughs> Hopefully oh, no. he'll stick around a little bit longer. But we've got another week. I didn't think we'd get that. So anyway, he was on our lawn the other day and Daisy loved it. I put a video up on our Insta- on my Instagram. Oh, so. my God, that video cracks me up. <laughs> it's like if you haven't seen it, one, you need to follow our personal accounts for this great content. Um, Olivia's is TCS Olivia. Mine's just some underscore. They're both mm-hmm. in the True Crime Society bio. But anyways, Olivia uploaded this video of Daisy just like jumping around Elmo like you know how dogs get when they do the little hops like when they're excited and Elmo just is like a little turd there (laughs) just sitting there and I'm like she she's a Labrador so she's she's still a puppy but she's big like she's probably I don't know at least 10 times the size of him probably even more and he just doesn't even care he doesn't it's not phased even when we drive past him in the car you'd think he'd kind of curl up in a ball he doesn't care he's got no no fear no he just sits there like a little might as well be like a pebble <laughs> yeah exactly a little rock <laughs> yeah um but yeah so that's um great news about Elmo. <laughs> we got an extra week <laughs> we'll see where we're at next recording so we just realized our recording thing our microphones like for some reason it automatically chose not our expensive microphones that actually aren't expensive but we can pretend they are (laughs) and decided to just for mine and just decided to use my my computer microphone so sorry if the beginning sounded a little weird we were like "Eh, should we like go back and re-record it but we feared it wouldn't be as authentic so you you get what you get lose the momentum (laughs) yeah you get what you get and you don't complain um (laughs) speaking of complaining I decided I'm going to say at the start of this episode instead of at the end, because even though a lot of you surprised me by how many of you listen all the way to the end from the one time I asked, (laughs) people like me who turn it off at the end don't hear me asking you to leave us a good review on Apple or a rating on Spotify, create a nice little note, um, share the podcast, all that stuff. If you could do any of that, it really helps us out. Love a good review. They literally make my day. Like I get so happy. I could cry. I get so emotional. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, I just want to say that at the start. So even though we just made a dumb technological mistake, <laughs> which really wasn't our fault, Go give us a good review anyways. <laughs> we fixed it. We fixed it, though. That's the main thing. Yep. Professionals. <laughs> okay, so we're going to just get right into it now because I feel like this episode could be a long one, but we really never know. Like, sometimes we think it's going to be short and it's long, and sometimes we think it's going to be long and then it's short. Who really knows? Who's to say? I feel like there's a lot to talk about in this one, too. Um, yeah, that's why I was like, I feel like it'll be long. Yeah. But anyways, I made the joke about... Elmo being in a love triangle going to another yard because this episode is about love triangles, technically two different cases that are current um, that involve a love triangle. I think we've all heard tons of true crime stories that start with 
an affair and then it results in a murder or attempted murder or whatever, a tale as old as time. So we're going to start off with a big one right now. I've, I mean, it's big. I think a lot of people who follow true crime are following it, but like I haven't seen much of it in like my news or anything. And like, no, I agree. Like, I'm so shocked because there is actually so much kind of sordid detail about this case available. I'm so shocked that it isn't bigger than what it is. Yeah. yeah. Like, if I wasn't who I am, I don't <laughs> think I would know about this case. True crime expert. <laughs> if I, even if I just, like, wasn't, like, in our group or, like, following crimes on purpose, I think it would have flown under my radar. But anyways, it's the case of um, the cyclists' love triangle. There is Colin Strickland, uh, Caitlin Armstrong, and Anna Mariah, who goes by Mo, but basically Colin was dating Caitlin for a long time. He was having some sort of affair with Mo. She found out, Caitlin found out, and allegedly may have murdered her and now is on the run. That's that's the short story. <laughs> um, and then another big case going on in like New Hampshire about a coworker beheading domestic abuse situation so we'll get to that one also but we're going to start off with the cyclist love triangle and olivia is going to start this one because i think she will be better at explaining it than me <laughs> we had a lot of people message and say are you guys going to do this one and at the start i'm like oh my gosh it just seems so complicated because there seems like there's a lot of people involved and there's a lot of names being thrown around but essentially it's not too complicated once you start you know reading and learning more about it yeah like it, it is but it isn't I look, I, on paper it like you know on the face value it looks complicated but it's not really yeah it's a shame that her life was cut short sunday was a day of remembrance in the cycling community Riding a distance to Deep Eddy Pool to remember cycling star Anna Mariah Wilson, one of the places she spent the final moments of her life. The violence that took the life of Mo was not okay. On May 11th, Wilson was found shot dead at her friend's apartment on Maple Avenue near East 7th Street. Law enforcement say her suspected killer is 34-year-old yoga instructor Caitlin Armstrong, a suspect they haven't been able to locate since police briefly detained and mistakenly released her on an unrelated charge. Armstrong was mistakenly released from custody on the misdemeanor warrant because her date of birth in our report management system did not match the date of birth on the warrant. Further investigation revealed that Armstrong had dated star cyclist Colin Strickland for a few years. Last year, Strickland was romantically involved with Wilson while Strickland and Armstrong were on a brief break. Investigators believe that Wilson was shot and killed over a love triangle since Wilson and Strickland went out on the day of the murder. So we'll start with some uh, background information on the three people who are involved. Anna Maria Wilson, um, also known as Mo, M-O, was a 25-year-old year old woman who grew up in Vermont. Um, she was born on May 18, 1996. Her family have said that she was always exceptionally athletic. She excelled in cycling, alpine skiing, in soccer at Burke Mountain Academy, and she also went to Dartmouth College. She majored in engineering there, and she also participated in the Alpine Sky Racing Team. Um, Burke Mountain Academy released a statement after all this happened, and they said, Mariah was an inspiration to our community, and her death at a moment when her athletic star seemed so assuredly ascendant only amplifies the deep sense of loss associated with a beautiful life that ended far too early. Her parents were Eric and Karen Wilson. They were also very sporty. I think like this whole entire extended family are very, you know, very fit and healthy and sporty. They were members of the US ski team. Mo's father, Eric, her younger brother and her aunt also went to Burke Mountain Academy. Eric worked as an, at the academy as a ski coach and her aunt Laura was a Nordic skier who competed in the Olympics. There was kind of a lot of talk about Burke Mountain Academy, so I looked up what it was. And it's basically a private school in the northeastern US located, located in East Burke, Vermont. It educates and trains alpine ski racing athletes on the slopes of the adjacent Burke Mountain area. So she was really, really into you know that sport at one time in her life. Um, as she kind of grew older, she did get into mountain bike riding. So Mo had quit her job a few weeks prior to her murder to focus on becoming a professional mountain bike and gravel racer. Her firm, former workplace is a company called Specialized, which is a bike and equipment company. The company said she had already won 10 events this year alone and her off-road racing career had just started to take off. 
her last race, which was in San Diego, ended in a victory and she had a 25-minute lead. There was an article published right around the time she died and in it, Mo was described as, quote, the winningest woman in the American off-road scene. Winningest. Winningest. Um, (laughs) Gravel racing is a pretty new sport from what I've read. I looked up what it actually is and there's a website called Bike Radar and it says, quote, it sits somewhere between road, cyclocross and mountain bike racing and tends to take place on open gravel roads, dirt double tracks and snaking single track, often with some stretches of paved road to link off-road segment. So it doesn't really, it might give you a bit more of an idea, but it seems like it's pretty hardcore biking. Yeah. So aside from her cycling career, her family have said that Mo loved cooking, writing, and traveling. In her obituary, it says she especially loved Italy, Taco Tuesdays, maple creamies, and playing Catan with friends. Is that right? I don't even know what Catan is. I'm assuming it's some type of game. Catan is like um, a board game that some people love, but I think it's very long and involved. I have no idea what a maple creamy is. I thought maybe, I I thought that must be like some type of fast food ice cream or something. I'll look it up. So some articles I've read say that Mo was living in San Francisco at the time of her death, but her obituary does say she'd recently moved back to Vermont. It says that she was working on creating a community space where bikers could gather throughout the day, feel welcome, share a good cup of coffee and a bite of locally sourced food. Do you want to know what, yeah. <laughs> do you know what a maple creamy is? Yeah. It's like an ice cream, but it's creamier than ice cream apparently i think it's like a vermont new england thing where they have a lot of maple syrup um is there like an actual what is a maple creamy slightly creamier than soft serve but with lower milk fat content than traditional hard ice cream sweet spirals can be found throughout vermont and a number of shops food trucks farm stands and creameries um so yeah sounds delicious (laughs) i'll have to try it next time i go (laughs) so mo seemed like a really lovely happy friendly person One of her high school friends, Danica Ashnault, said she was very supportive of anyone, no matter if you were competing directly against her or not. I'm sure that's the way she was in biking as well. So the other two people involved are Colin Strickland and Caitlin Armstrong. Colin is a 34-year-old Dartmouth graduate as well. He lives in Austin, Texas. He's also a cyclist who is very well known in his field. There's tons of information online if you just Google Colin Strickland cycling, Um, but I believe he was or maybe still is, sponsored by Red Bull. This article is about him. I'll just read out a little excerpt because it gives you kind of an idea about, you know, his cycling career. It says, Riding out of a cloud of dust, Colin Strickland arrives in Emporia, exhausted but alone. People rush out from shops to pound the barriers and cheer him home. The first finisher ever to complete the 200-mile course in less than 10 hours. He said, I just happen to love suffering and pushing my limits. That's not for everyone, but I get a lot from it. For Strickland, he's so far found that those limits are better challenged outside the mass of the traditional road scene, partly because he wants to do more than win bike races. He said, for me, it's about setting an example, doing some advocacy, just getting more people out there on bikes. If I can win some races and meet some important people, that gives me a platform to do that. So Colin was living in Austin at the time this all happened with his girlfriend, Caitlin. Caitlin was 34 at the time of the murder. I have read that she was a yoga teacher and a realtor, and I also think she was some type of house flipper. I think she may have retrained as a realtor from a yoga teacher when COVID hit. She apparently started work at Sotheby's International Realty in Austin in December 2021, and I've read that she owned three rental properties, which may have provided some income for her, which may you know, become important later. So I have also read some articles that say Caitlin and Colin owned a company called Wheelhouse Mobile, which is a vintage trailer refurbishment company. This is from their website. It says, we design and build vintage trailers. Our mission is to combine beauty and functionality in a mobile living space. We are based in Lockhart, Texas, just southeast of Austin. And when we arrived in this business through a desire to build comfortable accommodations for life on the road co-founder and Red Bull athlete Colin Strickland set out to create something that he could not source, a comfortable roadworthy apartment on wheels from which to base his training and racing in professional endurance gravel events. Colin's partner and financial guru, Caitlin Armstrong, led him to realize that they could build this into something much greater than a one-off passion project. So they were in business together as well. They had been dating for around three years as of May 2022. They did break up in October 2021 for a period of a few weeks. I think around this time, um, that's when 
Colin and Mo had their rom- romantic relationship. I can't find too many details about it, you know, as in how they met or whatever. But I did read one article that said they became involved when Mo was visiting Austin. Um, I'm assuming, you know, they ran in the same cycling circles. You know, they would have known of each other for sure. So I'm assuming that's kind of how they got in touch. Caitlin and Colin eventually got back together though and re- resumed their relationship. Caitlin found out about Colin and Mo's relationship and she was big mad. Some media reports say that when she found out, Caitlin said she was so angry that she wanted to kill Mo. Colin has um, kind of spoken to the authorities since all this happened and we've learned that he actually changed Mo's name in his phone so that Caitlin wouldn't see any incoming messages from her and that he always deleted the messages from Mo once he had replied to them. Caitlin somehow tracked down Mo's number and called her several times over the last few months and Mo ended up blocking her number. Caitlin started stalking Mo on social media and followed her on Instagram. In one of the last times Caitlin spoke to Mo before she was blocked, she told Mo that she, as in Caitlin, was back with Colin and that Mo needed to stay away. So I don't want to get too ahead of the story, but Colin has spoken to the authorities about both Mariah and Caitlin. It is public in the affidavit, which I'll link on the blog. And I think that this kind of excerpt gives you an idea maybe about how he treated Caitlin sometimes and about his thoughts. Why she was like jealous. About both women. Yeah. Like I feel like the way he spoke about Caitlin in this wasn't very nice and kind and, you know, obviously We'll go into it later properly too. But I I feel like this little paragraph gives you a good idea into his thoughts about the two women. Yeah, and kind of like why Caitlin would be more envious of Mo because Mm -hmm. of how he kind of seems to put her on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. But anyways, it says, Throughout the interview, Colin spoke very highly of Mo and her accomplishments. Colin advised Mo was a professional cyclist and was assisting her with obtaining new sponsors. Colin referred to Mo as the best female cyclist in the United States and possibly the world. When Colin described Caitlin, he referred to her as a participant at bicycle races <laughs> while he <laughs> is a racer. Colin stated that he told Caitlin in the past she does not need to ride with him because she holds him back. Colin advised Caitlin normally feels as though he's grumpy when training because he has to wait on her due to her not being able to ride at his professional level. So like, you kind of I get see all, what we're saying. I get all that is probably true. Like he is a really great bike rider, but I feel like it's just a bit degrading and mean. It's like at least she's trying. Yeah, exactly. I'm not sticking up for her. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, true. But it's like we can't all be professional cyclists. Yeah, exactly. One last thing. It's also a great last minute gift if you find yourself slacking off and you forget to get your dad or father figure a Father's Day present. This it starts out digital. So it starts out via email. So they'll never know that you totally forgot to get them a present. (laughs) And I also find my dad is so hard to buy for. So this was such a good idea. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Okay. So back to the story. So that's the basic background on the people involved. We will now kind of fast forward to May 10, 2022. Mo flew into Austin. Most reports I've seen said that she flew in from San Francisco, so I'm, I'm not entirely sure about the Vermont thing in the obituary, but it doesn't really matter in the end anyway. So most things I've seen said that she flew in from San Fran. She was picked up at the airport by her friend Caitlin Cash. So this is maybe where it gets a little bit confusing <laughs> to Caitlin's. Spelled differently, and I know you guys can't see that, but um, I'll just refer to this Kate, Caitlin, as Kate, just so we can distinguish between the two. So Caitlin is the girlfriend, Colin's girlfriend, and Kate is Mo's friend. Mm-hmm. Mo had travelled to Austin because she was planning to participate in the Gravel Locos race in Hico, Texas. Um, I went to the website for the race, it's still up, and both Colin and Mo are listed as participants for it. There's a big list of maybe, I don't know, 20 or 25 people, I'm guessing, kind of the top riders, and they're in the list. Um, it looks like there are four courses for, for the race, ranging from 32 to 155 miles. The 150-mile course is called La Loca, and this info about it is from the website. It says, timed and competitive, six aid stations. As its name implies, you've got to be a little crazy to ride La Loca, 155.9 miles of 112 of which are on gravel and 8,200 feet of elevation gain. The GL150 features five wet crossings, the Loco Hill, along with three of the biggest, baddest hills. All three are back-to-back and all three kick up into the 17 to 18% grade. So... Some of that doesn't mean a lot to me, but it sounds like it's pretty hardcore. <laughs> sounds like it's a no from me. <laughs> I can't even think. 155 miles. That is so Ugh. far to ride a bike. Yeah. It's crazy. So far to do anything. Anyway, 
so I just thought that would be some information to kind of give you, you know, to set the scene about their ability, you know, their plans for that weekend. Professional cyclists, unlike yes. Caitlin. <laughs> so anyway, Kate picked Mo up and took her back to her house where Mo was planning to stay while in Texas. Um, just as a bit of kind of, you know, as a note on that, I think Kate was renting like a and maybe an apartment or a separate studio to a house where her landlord lived in the other house. So still on the same property, the landlord lived on the same property, but Kate had her own premises, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. The next day was May 11 and Mo texted Kate and said that she was going to meet up with a friend named Colin to go swimming. I've read some reports that say that some of Mo's friends knew of Mo's relationship with Colin and they also knew that Caitlin wasn't happy and was a bit crazy about it. They'd warned her off continuing to be involved with him. I've read in some reports that Kate may have gone back to her house to talk to Mo after Mo sent the text and to kind of maybe say maybe it's not a good idea. Mm-hmm. But Kate has said that she saw Mo alive at around 5.30 p.m. Kate has told police that she gave Mo a unique electronic code to lock the apartment and Kate got notifications on her phone whenever the lock was activated or unlocked. Colin told police that he arrived to pick up Mo at around 5.45 p.m. and Kate has corroborated this, saying she got a te- text that the door was locked at 5.55 p.m. So, you know, I'm guessing he arrived, they hung around for a few minutes chatting, whatever. Also, just a random side note, doing all these true crime stories and like podcast episodes and following all these cases, one day when I have a house, I'm definitely going to need to have a smart house because anytime something like this happens, they're like, well, we could see the door open at this time and shut it this time. And like, I also need a ring doorbell to capture everything, all the footage, and I need everything. So if anything ever happens to me, we have lots of options. <laughs> Um, so Mo and Colin went swimming at Deep Eddy Pool and they went to a restaurant afterwards called Pool Burger. They traveled around to all these places on his motorcycle. Colin has said that he dropped Mo off at Kate's place at 8.35 p.m. Kate got a text saying that the door had been unlocked at 8.36 p.m. So 8.37 p.m., just one minute later, a dark-colored SUV pulled up outside Kate's house. The car parked there. No other cars were spotted kind of coming and going on the CCTV at this time. I have read some reports from the neighbours whose CCTV it was also saying that they were super lucky because the CCTV is a bit unreliable and it's meant to be motion activated and, you know, it doesn't often work. So they were very lucky in this case that it was spotted on them. Hmm. So after Colin left Mo, he sent his girlfriend, Caitlin, a text. He lied about where he'd been because he knew that Caitlin would be insanely jealous. He said, hey, are you out? Went to drop some flowers for Alison at her son's house up north and my phone died. Heading home unless you have another food suggestion. So he left the area and got back to his own home at 8.43 p.m. So he didn't live too far away. When he got home, Caitlin was not there and he said that he started to prep some bike gear in the garage. He said that he sent a few other texts to her and recalls that she arrived home in her dark-coloured Jeep at around 9.21 p.m. So between 8.30 and 9.30 p.m., Kate's landlord, who also lived on the property, said that he heard someone running downstairs towards an alley near the residence. I think I've read that the garage door was partly open and he said that he saw kind of someone cycling away from the residence at that time. So Kate as in Mo's friend, got home to her house at around 9.54 p.m. and she saw that the door was unlocked. She entered the home and found Mo laying in the bathroom covered in blood. She called 911 just two minutes after she got home. She started doing CPR on Mo and police arrived at 10.10 p.m. and Mo was pronounced dead. No one else seemed to be in the house and Kate has said that the only thing seemed to be missing was Mo's bicycle. When police did kind of a search of the area, they found the bicycle dumped in bushes around 70 feet away from Kate's apartment. Austin police released the following statement at the time. It says, on Wednesday, May 11th, 2022, at approximately 9.56, Austin police responded to an emergency in the 1700 block of Maple Avenue. A woman told 911 dispatch she returned home to find her friend bleeding and unconscious. Investigators arrived at the scene and discovered a 25-year-old female with multiple gunshot wounds. Goes in, then just identifies Mo, um, and it says, The investigation shows someone shot Wilson inside the home on Maple Avenue. Detectives have identified a person of interest. There is no reason to, to, to suspect any threats to the public, and the shooting does not appear to be a random act. Travis County Medical Examiner conducted an autopsy and determined the official cause of death to be multiple gunshot wounds and the manner of death was homicide. Also, just to point out, 
if this was Caitlyn, which it seems like it was, allegedly, whatever, um, she would have had to do this very quick. So I guess a gun would kind of make sense to that story because, what, they dropped her off at 8.35 and uh, she was Caitlin home by was back home. Yeah, it was back home by 9.21. So it seems like she literally had to have just, like, barged in, shot her, and left, basically. Yeah, it sounds that way. Um, so the following day, May 12, police in Austin actually took Caitlin in for questioning. They identified her Jeep very quickly as the one being seen on the CCTV near Kate's apartment. A detective named Richard Spitler had said that Caitlin would not confirm or deny being in the area at the time of the murder and that she terminated the interview. So the info from the affidavit, it says, Caitlin was asked if she had heard what happened in the past 24 hours. She began to nod her head and stated, Colin walked into the house and said one of the women in the cycling community had passed away. Caitlin was very still and did not move at all as they spoke. When confronted on how Colin was, quote, talking to this girl and Caitlin's name came up during the investigation, she continued to stay quiet and completely still. When Caitlin was confronted with video evidence of her vehicle, she had no explanation as to why it was in the area and did not make any denials surrounding the statements presented to her. Detective Connor then confronted her on how Colin went out with Mo and that Caitlin was upset about that. Caitlin then turned her head and rolled her eyes in an angry manner. Caitlin then said, I'm not certain as to even what you mean or what he said because I didn't have any idea he saw or even went out with this girl as of recently. When confronted about how Caitlin's vehicle was seen next to Kate's residence and how Colin was saying certain things, saying certain things is in quotes, Detective Connor explained she wanted her help to explain what actually happened and to help provide a logical explanation about why her vehicle was in the area. Detective Connor then stated, quote, maybe you were upset and just in the area. Caitlin then began to nod in agreement. Detective Connor then confronted Caitlin on how seeing her vehicle in the area, coupled with statements made by Colin, made things not look too good. Caitlin then nodded her head up and down as if in agreement. Caitlin again made no effort to deny what was being said and still provided no explanation as to why her vehicle would be there. Caitlin continued to remain very still and guarded as she spoke with Detective Connor. Caitlin then requested to leave, so the interview was ended. So it seems like police did try to detain Caitlin on another issue, but they failed. Detective Spittler said Caitlin was mistakenly released from custody on a misdemeanor warrant because her date of birth in our report management system did not match the date of birth on the warrant. So around this time, an anonymous caller contacted police with information. In the affidavit, the caller is referred to as Jane. So Jane said that Caitlin had told them recently that she wanted to kill Mo. She told Caitlin had told Jane that she was either going to purchase a gun or had recently purchased one. Colin told police that he had recently purchased two 9mm guns for himself and Caitlin. So the affidavit said about the guns, it said, Colin admitted to purchasing two firearms approximately between December 2021 and January 2022, one for himself and one for Caitlin. Colin advised he purchased a Springfield Armory handgun for himself and a Sig Sauer handgun for Caitlin. Strickland told Detective Spittler, Caitlin does not know where Mo was staying and has never been to Kate's residence before. Colin advised he was unaware Caitlin knew anyone in the area the murder occurred. While Detective Spittler was conducting the interview with Colin, Detective Ayers, along with members of the APD TAC Intel Unit, executed residential search warrant, which was issued by the Austin-Travis County Municipal Court during the search Officers located two firearms in the residence as described by Colin. The firearms located were identified as the um, Sig Sauer and the serial number and the Springfield Arms EMP 9mm and the serial number. So around this time, we started to learn more about Mo and Colin's relationship. The same informant who gave the information about the guns also had more info about Mo and Colin's relationship. And she said that Colin and Mo had been together multiple times and that their relationship was on again, off again. Some reports say that based on texts found on Mo's phone, that it seemed like she still believed that they were in some sort of relationship. According to the affidavit, it says one of the texts that she sent said, hey, so I'd like to talk to you at some point. I had originally texted you on Friday, but it appears my texts aren't going through again. This weekend was strange for me, and I just want to know what's going on. If you just want to be friends, parentheses, seems 
to be the case, then that's cool. But I'd like to talk about it because honestly, my mind has been going in circles and I don't know what to think. So it seems like he was kind of giving her the runaround of some sort. Yeah. He replied saying, hey, Mo, I feel very shitty for putting you in a position where you don't feel comfortable. Caitlin came along to go to a meeting about the Sprinter slash Spartan Hotel project. In hindsight, this is not a good idea. The affidavit then says, based off this conversation, Mo appeared under the impression that she was still in a romantic relationship with Colin, even though he was currently dating Caitlin. So it's a very non-reply text. Like she kind of asks for a reply, and then he's like, "Yeah, totally blows yeah. her off." Basically, yeah, yeah. It seems like he's trying to be like, "Oh, I couldn't answer, or I blocked your texts, or something," because Caitlin was around. Yeah, and this whole thing's a bad idea. So according to the affidavit, Collins said his relationship with Mo was not ongoing and was never long-term. Mo's family made a statement that backs up that version of events. They said, while we'll not elaborate about the ongoing investigation, we do feel it's important to clarify that at the time of her death, the, those closest to her clearly understood directly from Mariah that she was not in a romantic relationship with anyone. So on May 14th, which is three days after Mo was murdered, Caitlin left town. She got a flight from Austin Bergstrom International Airport to Houston Hobby and then got a connecting Southwest flight to LaGuardia in New York. Um, police have released footage of her at the airport. She can be seen wearing a black mask covering her face, a denim jacket, black shirt, white jeans, and carrying a yoga mat. So masks was a great time for criminals. <laughs> I know. I can't. I feel like every single episode lately, it's someone wearing a mask has gotten away. I know. It's like, even if it's like now, it's like, no, you don't really have to wear a mask. We're like, no, 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 I'll wear it. I'm I'm concerned about COVID. You're a criminal on the run. And because Caitlin is quite distinctive looking, like she's got long red hair, like she's very, a very attractive woman. Um, Yeah. You know, I feel like she would easily, pretty easily stand out in a crowd. So the mask definitely would have helped. Mm hmm. A suspected killer strolling through security at the Austin airport with a ticket to New York. We can send uh, collateral leads to uh, New York. The hunt for 34-year-old Caitlin Armstrong began on May 11th when Austin police found Mo Wilson, a 25-year-old pro cyclist, shot to death in the home where she was staying. On May 12th, police interviewed Armstrong, and on May 14th, surveillance video captured Armstrong in Austin's airport. After more tips came in, police issued a warrant for her arrest on May 17th. Now the U.S. Marshals are releasing these photos of Armstrong, who they say flew from Austin to Houston and then to New York City. You know, when... Um... When someone leaves the area where a uh, crime was committed, and of course she was interviewed on the 12th, and so um, that causes some suspicion. So before she disappeared, she deleted all of her social media accounts. Colin told police the last day he spoke to her was May 13th. Texas Deputy U.S. Marshal Brandon Phila told the New York Post that Caitlin's background in flipping houses may have provided her with the funds to continue to hide. He said, Caitlin's escape wasn't something that was abrupt. This was something that was methodical, that was timed. She had somewhat of a plan. On May 17th, an arrest warrant was issued for Caitlin, accusing her of the first-degree murder of Mo. On the same day, the guns found at the home of Colin and Caitlin were test-fired. Police determined that the gun had significant potential to have been used during the crime. On May 20th, not really sure why this took so long. It was at least... I mean, it was three days from when they tested the gun, at least. Mm -hmm. um, U.S. Marshals Lone Star Fugitive Task Force announced they were entering the search and conducting a fugitive investigation and pursuing leads on Caitlin's whereabouts. On May 23rd, it was announced that a memorial ride for Mo had been scheduled for May 29th. So it looks like that the riders um, rode their bikes to the deep eddy pool, which is the last place that Mo was with Colin at. There's a photo. It's like a bicycle wheel with spokes and they've kind of decorated it with flowers and a photo of Mo. So it looks like it was a nice kind of you know, memorial ride is memorial ride for her. One of the co-organizers of the ride is Cynthia Pedraza. She spoke and said, we spend a lot of time together on the bike, riding on the road and building trust, trust that will keep each other safe. The trust was shattered when a member of our community likely took the life of Mariah Wilson. We are here to say that the violence that took the life of Mo was not okay and we are not okay. 
Event organizers encouraged participants to donate to the Wilson family's Mo Wilson Fund with proceeds dedicated to helping kids build up their confidence via sports. The fund at this time has raised almost $115,000 at the time of recording. There's been some questions about how Caitlin knew where Mo was staying, and this might have to do with her Strava account, some people are speculating. Um, both Colin and Mo use Strava, and it's basically like a run ride tracking social app where cyclists and runners share routes with other users. The definition of Strava, it says, Strava is an American internet service for tracking physical exercise, which incorporates social network features. It is mostly used for cycling and running using GPS data. So after Mo arrived in Austin, she uploaded a cycle route that began and ended at Kate's house. So anyone who was following her would have seen her location by with the follow her ride little map thing. I'm sure we've all seen them. Um, police believe that Caitlin was following both Colin and Mo on Strava, and that's how she kind of found out where she was. On May 28, 2022, some more info came out um, about Caitlin's criminal history. On March 6, 2018, Caitlin received a $650 Botox treatment at a spa in Harris County, Texas. She pulled out her MasterCard to pay, but then said she'd prefer to use another card that was in her car. So she left the MasterCard on the counter and then walked out to get her other card, but never returned. I'm assuming, too, that that is the misdemeanor they tried to hold her on when they originally questioned her. Yeah, probably. Um, But yeah, so I got to start trying that. (laughs) Since Caitlin's been on the run, Colin has also gone into hiding. One of his friends spoke to the media and said, none of us can sleep. He's staying out of sight until she's caught. I do know where he is, but I'm not mentioning where for his safety. Colin has also issued a statement about the situation. He said, There is no way to adequately express the regret and torture I feel about my proximity to this horrible crime. I'm sorry, and I simply cannot make sense of this unfathomable situation. So some of Colin's sponsors have dropped him following what happened to Mo. Envy, Composites, Specialized, Rafa, and the Meteor Cafe all released statements to Velo News concerning their business relationships with Colin, stating they're ending their partnerships with the cyclist. Specialized was where Caitlin worked? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, well, Mo, Mo worked. worked there. Mo worked there for a f- until a few weeks before she died. Yeah, so probably like, fuck you. <laughs> Allied Cycle Works, another sponsor of Colin, said in a statement he is not expected to represent Allied at future races, but his contract has not been officially severed, according to a representative from Allied's marketing PR firm. A man named David was an employee for Colin and Caitlin's company, Wheelhouse Media, and he spoke about Caitlin. He said, she always had goals she was after and just always keeping busy. No red flags for anything that would result in an outcome like this that we are aware of. He said, with this girl, there was not one red flag, not one, no rage, drama, nothing. Nothing showed out over the last year, and that tells me that there's something buried so deep that Mo being in town lit the wick to everything that was suppressed prior to that. Caitlin's father, Michael Armstrong, has also spoken to the media and thinks she's innocent. He said, I know her, I know how she thinks, and I know what she believes, and I know she would not do something like this. We love you, Katie, and we are going to figure this out. This morning, the father of missing murder suspect, Caitlin Armstrong, speaking exclusively with ABC News. I know her, and I know how she thinks, and I know what she believes, and that I know that she just would not do something like this. I know her. I know her. He says his daughter is not capable of committing the crime she's charged with shooting her alleged romantic rival, rising cycling star Mariah Wilson. That is what they believe. I know that she did not do this. There are a lot of unanswered questions. In an article dated May 24th, Michael said he last spoke to Caitlin five days ago, which would have been around May 19th, which is many days after she would have fled Austin. Deputy U.S. Marshal Brandon Phila has recently been speaking to the media and has urged Caitlin to surrender. He said, come forward, surrender to authorities. It's just a matter of time. We're working day in and day out. We'd like to safely bring you into custody so you can have your day in court and tell your side of the story. They always try to use that. Like, don't you want to tell your side of the story? Like, no, I don't want to be arrested. (laughs) He added that Caitlin is considered armed and dangerous. He also admitted that they aren't sure where Caitlin went once she landed in New York. We kind of lost the track, he said. We lost the footprint in the sand when she landed in LaGuardia. Um, So that's really 
the whole story so far. Caitlin is on the run. Who knows where she is? Um, <laughs> apparently not authorities. Believe, yeah, I can't believe that if they think she – I feel like she probably – surely can't have gone international because surely she would have used her passport. And how hard is that to track? Yeah, because we News Nation was saying that they were – looking into flights out of LaGuardia that night and specifically flights that don't have extradition treaties with the United States. So the ones that had flights out of LaGuardia were Cambodia, Indonesia, Maldives, Morocco, Nepal, Russia, and Vietnam. And they made the point of saying how Nepal really stood out to them because of her yoga background. And Nepal is like a big yoga place, apparently. Um, So they're wondering if maybe she could have left the country to some place where even if they knew she was there, they couldn't extradite her and she could just live the rest of her life there free. But like you're saying, the authorities are saying they have no idea where she went from LaGuardia, where I feel like if she booked a flight, she would have had to have been using her real name. Well, yeah, because I know that he said that, um, I can't remember which authority person said it, but basically that they thought it was premeditated. And I think it probably was to an extent of maybe a few days. I don't think yeah. that she planned this for months and had probably had a chance to get a fake passport. I don't know. I guess she could still have done that if she's in New York and, you know, bought some time and could have done it since then maybe. But I don't know. It's I, I feel like she either has to still be in New York or is domestically still in the USA would be my thinking. Yeah. I mean, like New York City is so crowded. It's an easy place to kind of get lost and blend in. But it's also there's so many people there that could potentially recognize you. Like you said, she kind of stands out. She has long, like red hair. That's very curly. She's pretty like someone that would catch your eye. When um, I made a post on our Instagram about this case, a few people messaged um, and it was kind of a 50-50 split between them either thinking that she's now taken her own life somewhere, like after she got to New York, and if the other comments were basically, I bet she's in Canada now, which would also make sense, you know, not too far from New York. Um, and it is easy to get into Canada Yeah, from the US. Like, I, I mean, you still have to show your birth certificate and stuff, but yeah. You don't have to get then. on a flight and have it all, you know, you have, you know, yeah, all checked and everything like that. Yeah. So I, I, I don't think my thought is that she probably hasn't killed herself. I, I feel like she is on the run somewhere. Yeah, I don't think she seems like the type that would kill herself. I mean, you never know, but just from that's just the vibe I get. Um, but I agree about how you said it seemed like maybe she planned this for a couple of days. Um, yeah, I don't think she was planning it for like a long time, but I think a few days where she looked into the Strava app, maybe she was looking at like Colin's phone. You know, once once a girl has like an inkling that something suspicious is going on, she's going to figure it out. Yeah. So I'm sure that she saw some messages or something, figured out that they were like meeting up, that she was in town, and I, or just I'm saw guessing- that she was in town and kind of like assumed – she would have known that Colin was going to participate in this race. Like if Mo's name was all over the website, she would have known, you know, that Mo was going to be in town too. It was just a matter of where, if she could find out where and when she got there. Yeah. So I'm sure for a few days she was kind of like piecing together. Maybe she didn't plan on like killing her. Maybe she planned on just like scaring her, showing up, and then just like the rage rage took over her. Um, But yeah, I don't think it was like a long drawn out, like months long plan. Yeah, yeah, I, I do think that too. But then when I think back and, you know, how she told apparently told this informant that she was going to buy a gun and was going to kill Mo. So, I don't know, maybe yeah. it could have been. But I feel like in the end it was just she struck when she knew Mo was going to be there. Yeah, I feel like she didn't go. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she did go there planning she was going to kill her. Part of me is like maybe she just, she just wanted to scare her. Maybe she, that's why she brought the gun. Yeah. Because everyone's say, saying leave, she had like no alone. red flags, nothing. But who knows? I have read um, some comments online too about Colin. Um, Obviously, you know, he didn't pull the trigger, but there are some comments about him being not such a nice person. Someone spoke to the post and they said, Colin's a douche and a player. All he cares about now is covering his ass." And then another comment was, as someone that's known him, lived with him and been associated with him for nearly eight years, this isn't surprising. Anyone in the Austin cycling scene will tell you his game, find the most unstable, attractive girl he can find and play games with her until it explodes into drama. It's his dating cycle. It's ended in theft of property, restraining orders, all kinds of wild shit. At at what point is a person responsible for pushing another to the point of insanity? Did he pull the trigger? No. And she deserves everything she gets for that murder, but I will always consider him at fault for pulling Mo into his trash fire of a dating life. She deserved better than this. Yeah. 
Um, so I feel like, you know, Colin definitely played a part in driving Caitlin crazy. Obviously, Caitlin needs to be responsible for her own actions, but um, it was just a very toxic situation, it seems like. Yeah, um, definitely selfish on his part. And yeah. it seems like he kept it like kept it going even after Caitlin had kind of already initially found out. Yeah, and even he, you know, purposely went out of his way to change Mo's name in his phone, delete texts. Like, he was he was hiding stuff still, absolutely. And I don't get how he, like, she texted, how Mo texted Colin being like, so, like, what's going on, like, this and that. But then he still, like, went out and went swimming and, like, had a day with her after he was like, this isn't a good idea. Well, I mean, I guess he's thinking with his penis. <laughs> and it sounds like too he was very arrogant. Like he would have surely had to know that Caitlin could have figured this out, that Mo was going to be there, you know, that whatever the story he had wasn't a very, you know, plausible one. So I feel like he just thought he could get away with it because he always did. Yeah. And learned his lesson now, I guess. Oh, and also just the it's a, a good reminder to I always see people posting that like track your run location things and a lot of time people like start them at their house and like end them at their house. So just a good reminder to maybe be careful what you post. Yeah. Do it in public places at a park or something and not you know, if you're gonna do yeah, it every start single day house. and don't if you do the same run every single day, don't post it because people will know where you are. You know, yeah. they'll figure out your routine and where you're likely to be. Mm-hmm. We're gonna talk about the one other case, this one is a little bit more straightforward just because it already went to trial. So like all the information's out there. So there's less to speculate and wonder about. This is also another one where I just, it's crazy. There's some Insane. crazy, crazy details. And I like, again, I cannot believe that this hasn't blown up, you know, in the media. I know. It's a, cra- a crazy I, case. I only, I just saw it like in passing somewhere and the headline like caught my attention. Anything with a the word beheading in it, um, and that's not like terrorism or something. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so yeah, this one is crazy. So we'll just get right into it. Um, this is the murder of Jonathan Amaral by Armando Barron and his wife, Brittany. It is a heinous crime sparked, police say, by a husband enraged that his wife might be having an affair. What happened next, we have to warn you, is so violent it may not be appropriate for some viewers. This woman has two black eyes. The result, cops say, of a beating by her enraged husband after he discovered she was having an affair with a co-worker. What authorities say happened next is shocking. This case is especially heinous and gruesome. 31-year-old Brittany Barron told police her husband Armando was looking through her phone when he found text messages from her co-worker Jonathan Amaralt. They both worked at a medical supply company in New Hampshire. Brittany said what followed was a violent assault with her husband beating her about the face repeatedly and strangling her so hard she says she passed out. Then her husband texted her lover pretending to be Brittany and lured him to meet at a park in the woods. When Amaral showed up for the middle of the night rendezvous with his alleged lover, a grim fate awaited him. That's when Brittany told investigators her husband turned and shot Jonathan three times twice in the chest and once in the head. So this actually occurred in 2020. But that's very awesome. Like this happened in 2020 and I'm just kind of little, little tiny bit hearing about it now. I did read that it was um, the trial was quite delayed because of COVID reasons. So yeah, it, it was very flew under the radar totally. Yeah, I guess the world was preoccupied with the yeah. pandemic. <laughs> Too busy for beheadings. <laughs> um, so... The trial just ended this month, and so there's Jonathan, he is 25, and there's Brittany, who's 33. They work together at Teleflex, which is a biomedical company in Jaffrey, New Hampshire. Jonathan, he is the victim of the crime, so just a little bit about him. He was an avid hiker who had summited all but one of the 67 mountains in northern New England that are at least 4,000 feet. He received honors for his volunteer work at the Boys and Girls Club, Brittany and Armando, They are the other players in this story. They got married when they were teenagers, and they had three children together. According to court documents, Brittany had recently told Armando that she wanted a divorce. She told the media, I told him I wasn't in love with him anymore, but I thought we were really good parents together. So after Brittany told Armando that she wanted a divorce, he choked her until she became unconscious. And Brittany later said that she feared that she was going to die. Armando got angry when he went through Brittany's phone one day and he found texts between her and Jonathan. 
he accused her of having an extramarital affair. It seems like there's like some gray area though, because I don't know if it was like they she was trying to get a divorce and who knows. But either way, he saw these texts and was mad. So Jonathan's family denied there was ever an affair. They said all he did was respond to her text messages for eight days during the last 10 days of his life. So after Armando found the text, he physically assaulted Brittany and he said to her, don't do anything stupid or the girls are going to walk into something fucking gruesome, which is so scary. Mm. Um, so Brittany recalled that Armando said that to her. Um, he And then he sent the couple's three children to their grandmother's home next door. She said that Armando made her read the text out loud to him, and after finishing each text, Armando would hit her. In September 2020, Armando used Brittany's phone to message Jonathan. He asked Jonathan to meet at a park. You know, he was pretending to beat Brittany so that Jonathan would come meet her at the park, but it was really like a trap. Jonathan traveled to the park, and there he encountered both Brittany and Armando. There, Armando violently assaulted Jonathan, and he forced Brittany to take part. Armando tried to get Brittany to kill Jonathan and she refused, so Armando shoved him into his own vehicle before shooting him three times. This info about Jonathan's injuries is from an article by WCAX.com. And this information is from the chief medical examiner, Jenny Duval, and she said that Jonathan had wounds from two bullets to his legs and arms and one to his head that were not considered lethal. Those two bullets likely exited and re-entered his body. It's possible he might have been positioned on his side at the time, bent at the waist and knees. So kind of like it went in the front of his leg and then like went back into the back of his leg, like if he was kneeling is what I yeah, think. Yeah, I think so too. Bruises on Jonathan's forehead and cheek were in a zigzag pattern. The medical examiner said that they look very much like footwear impressions. As the trial started, Armando's team tried to imply that Brittany was the real killer, which was really the only defense they could go with, I'd imagine. Yeah. But still crazy. Um, Brittany testified during the trial that Armando had forced her to slit Jonathan's wrist and to stand on his neck. Prosecutors said in court that Jonathan begged for his life. Brittany asked to be referred to by her maiden name of Mitchell during the trial, and she also testified that after he shot Jonathan, Armando had forced her to drive the car 200 miles or 320 kilometers north to a remote campsite. There, she said she was forced to behead Jonathan using a saw and a knife, and she later told the court that Armando wanted Jonathan's body to be unidentifiable by dental records. Um, Armando then left her at the site, telling her to dispose of the body. So just left her there. Was like, that's your problem now. We're going to message your little boyfriend. Brittany Barone testified Wednesday about the plot her husband laid out in September of 2020 to lure Jonathan Amaralt to a park. Armando Barone allegedly used her phone to message him. At one point, he like stops, stomps on his face. Brittany described a relentless assault when the 25-year-old engineer arrived and then the moment Armando allegedly forces her to join in. Kill him. Do it. Shoot him. What did you tell him back? No. Did you say whether you could do this? I'm like, I can't. Yeah, I, I can't. Brittany says he then ordered her to stand on his throat. And I could hear John like struggling like he was trying to breathe. <laughs> Brittany says Amaral begged for his life and hers, promising to never talk or see her again. Armando, she says, was undeterred. And John said, what? He said, look at her. Do you still think she's pretty? And John looked at me. He says, yeah, I do. Brittany says her husband forced John Amaral into the hatchback of his own car headfirst. John's last words were, I thought you were going to let me live before Armando shot Amaral three times. And John says, wait, I thought you were going to let me live. <laughs> and Armando said, yes, that means both of us liars. <laughs> Cross-examination got underway late this afternoon, and it's already intense. The defense showing the jury blown-up photographs of Jonathan Amaral's injuries caused by Brittany. This trial does resume here tomorrow at 9 a.m. We're live in Keene this evening. Amy Cavino, WMUR News 9. So Brittany buried Jonathan's head and wrapped his body in a tarp. But two days later, the New Hampshire 
fish and game conservation officers found her at the campsite still. And according to them, she told them, I'm in big trouble. Um, She also testified that Armando threatened her with a gun and physically assaulted her. She said he put a gun into her mouth and police said that Brittany had bruises around her eyes, around her eyes and her nose and marks on her neck and a chipped tooth. So it was clear that she was also pretty beat up. Yeah, there's Um, photos of her, like I think it must be her mugshot and yeah, she looks very battered and bruised. Yeah, mugshot because she was also arrested, which I think is silly. Um, Some more information about the alleged relationship between Brittany and Jonathan came out during the trial. Attorneys said that it was a flirtatious relationship and that was mostly carried out through text and social media. Brittany explained that she and Jonathan had worked closely together on a project just days before he died. The pair shared a quick kiss in one instance and another during a work break the day before Armando discovered the text. She said, we were just talking and we were talking about work and then he just leaned over and he kissed me. It it wasn't just a peck. Um, And she said, I said I couldn't offer anything more than friendship. When asked if she wanted to start a relationship with Jonathan, she said, I thought there might have been potential, but I wasn't planning on a relationship. So on May 26, 2022, Armando was convicted of first-degree murder, which carries a mandatory sentence of life without parole. A judge imposed additional time as recommended by prosecutors for other crimes, including kidnapping, criminal solicitation, and assault. Judge Elizabeth Leonard told Armando, your actions are brutal, they were horrific, they were selfish, and they were completely senseless. The abject cruelty, the pain, and the suffering, all that you inflicted on Jonathan that night is unfathomable. Jonathan's parents made statements um, following the verdict. His father said, The only good thing I see about all this heinous, heinous crime is that you are not 40 years old, 50 or 60, but only 30 years old. You'll have a long, long time to fade away and rot in prison. That's a good point. His mother said, My son Jonathan was a thousand times more of a man than this low life could ever dream of being. The loss of Jonathan to this world is incredibly sad. She said, throughout his life, Jonathan was surrounded by hundreds of the most wholesome good people, co-workers, friends, and family, his mother said, adding, it's beyond comprehension that such a beautiful young man should die in the presence of two such filthy evil creatures. Brittany pleaded guilty in 2021 to three counts of falsifying evidence and was released from jail on parole in April 2022. She apologized to Jonathan's family during her sentencing. And that's that. Uh, Just like... A crazy case. There's a lot of information online about it if you want to read some more about it, but it's just one of those ones, like we we're saying, flew under the radar, but it's actually like insane. Yeah, it's horrific. Got no words for it, really. It's so sad. It seems like Jonathan really was like a nice guy who had a lot of accomplishments and did a lot of good for the community, and Armando was just a fucking jealous dirtbag loser. Jonathan was so young, too, like 25. He had his whole life ahead of him, and then yeah it's very very sad i still don't get like i know there's probably more to it but why britney was charged like clearly she was like abused and kind of forced into this yeah i guess i don't know know, essentially she did take part in the like she did behead him um and obviously they have to prove that you know, like it could have just been her story, just exactly like his was Brittany was the one who actually committed yeah, the murder. That's true. I guess they just have to investigate it and, um, you know, make sure the version of events actually matches up. Yeah, just like one loser, like ruins so many people's lives. Yeah. Just like Colin. Just for no, like it's just so, uh, you have to wonder what he actually thought was going to happen. Armando, like did he really think they would get away with this? Did he, was he so mad that he didn't care? It's just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. It's gross how selfish people can be. Like overall, it's kind of like the moral, not like moral, but like the takeaway of this episode is it's crazy how selfish people can be to just ruin all these lives over what sex love yeah. romance whatever <sighs> disappointing do crazy things yeah but yeah so those are the two cases for this episode if you want to see any of the pictures or uh any of the sources read more about them they'll all be linked on our blog at truecrimesocietyblog.com um anything else we want to talk about not right 
I think so. You can follow us on Instagram. That's where we're always posting updates and our stories at True Crime Society. And like I mentioned earlier, we have our personal accounts that you can follow. It's TCS Olivia and Steph Sum underscore. They're both in the True Crime Society Instagram bio. And I won't tell you guys to review because I said it in the start and you guys probably already did it because you're such great <laughs> listeners. But yeah, do that if you haven't. And also check out our sponsors for this episode. If you guys ever have any questions about them, just shoot us a message and we'll tell you our thoughts and our experiences with the products. And if you ever forget any codes or anything, we can send them to you. But they're always um, in the episode description on whatever app you listen to. They should be listed there. All right. So that is about it for this episode. We'll be back next week with some more horrific stories. So we'll talk to you guys then. Thanks for listening. Peace out. I'll see ya. <laughs> Oh,